Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We've got a great show for you guys today. We're going to go down the Vegas lane without the great Dana Lane this week. He's tied up doing UNLV Rebel Hockey today. Um, so he, he gets the day off, and me and Chris are going to handle the Vegas lane today. We're going to be discussing last night's franchise opening win in dramatic fashion in the third period. And then next up, Rob Soria from the Oil Drop is going to join us, and we're going to break down the Oilers' prospects for the upcoming season. Stay tuned. It's going to be a great show. All right, Vegas hockey fans, welcome to the show. We've got a lot to get to today. It's been quite the week here in Las Vegas, so it's it's good to finally just sit down and be able to talk a little bit of hockey. We've got regular season Golden Knights action for the first time to talk about. Uh, some interesting roster moves came down uh, to get down to the final 23. We're going to talk about that. And like I said, Rob Sawyer is going to join us a little bit later in the show to Look at the Edmonton Oilers, a lot of people's darlings in the West this year with Connor McDavid, Dreisaitl et al., uh, looking to be one of the favorites coming out of the West this year. So we thought we'd bring Rob back to the show and talk a little bit about the Oilers as, as we get in a little bit deeper into the first week of the season. Uh, Chris, good day to you, sir. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing well. I just want to pass along my thoughts and prayers, not just to Vegas, but you know there were many people involved many victims in this that were from other states who were at the at the concert and having 9-11 in, uh, in my backyard and having lost a uh, family member in uh, 9-11. Uh, uh, I, I understand what everything, everyone out there is going through. Uh, you know, with that said, you know, me and you, Mark, we're in the uh, toy department, if you will, and we're going to talk hockey. So, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, during the week, every, we all have our different stresses. And me and Mark can provide an hour, hour and a half of hockey talk and give you something to enjoy and relax to. So, uh, you know, with that, we're going to do the opening face-off and uh, start with Jack Eichel's eight-year, $80 million extension went down before uh, opening night's puck drop. Um, you know, this is, uh, I, again, uh, you know, uh, from one breath, one would say it's a good deal for Buffalo to lock him up, but you know, we're and again, I don't blame the players, but I, I, I unfortunately feel we're heading for another lockout, and basically, we're heading for a lockout because the teams, the general managers, and the owners, they need rules to protect them, themselves against themselves. And and you know, hey, good, good for Jack Eichel, uh, uh, but at the end of the day, when you're five years away from free agency. And you get an, uh, a long-term deal, and basically you're getting paid as one of the top players in the game. It just doesn't make any economic sense, especially in a sport where there's a hard salary cap and where the cap is crawling. Um, you know, about you know, a few years ago we saw these kind of deals uh, locally here in Milan, sort of with Travis Hamanick, sort of with uh, John Tavares uh, in, in Dallas, sort of with John Klingberg. Well, basically teams approached their young stars, took a chance that they were going to progress or, you know, be on the same uh, be on the same level at least and stay healthy, offer them, you know, life-changing money. They wouldn't have to worry about money at all. But the same token, if things worked out, that, you know, they would give up, they'd get the security and leave some dollars on the table and give them uh, cap flexibility to the teams. You know, the, these deals, I mean, they are what they are, but uh, – it just the numbers just don't add up in terms of you know the rise of player salaries uh, and how much the cap is crawling. Something we've talked about. Uh, I don't want to rain on the Sabres parade or anything. Um, Jack Eichel looks like he's going to be a tremendous player, but having said that, you know to be one of the highest paid players in the game, you look at the guys in the ten dollar plus million range: Kopitar, Taze, uh, Kane. They all won Stanley Cups. They're all very close to free agency. So, um, you know, it's – I mean, I knew this deal was coming. Uh, You heard rumblings over over the summer. But, you know, again, the numbers just don't – it just doesn't add up. I mean, again, they know that he's going to be there. 
for the next eight years, but they already knew he was going to be there in the next five. So, um, anyway, so, you know, again, we're, 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 the salaries are just uh, going up and up, and, again, I don't have a problem with that, uh, but it, uh, when you have a total $75 million cap for a team, uh, uh, it's going to be hard to put together a team. So uh, I don't know how you feel about it, my, uh, my friend. Well, one thing, one thing about Jack Eichel and the the future is, remains to be seen, obviously. But let's say he certainly has the potential to be a top ten player in the league. Um, Skill set. W- w- I mean, do you, would you agree with that? If you go two, three years down the road, he, he could be top ten in the league as far as scoring, right? Yeah, sure. And, and you know, and I guess okay. my point is he's he, he's already guaranteed to be paid like uh, one of the top players in the game. Um, so, uh, again, that's the part that, you know, usually when you get the security, you know what I mean, you're going to leave something on the table. That's just usually how long-term deals work. Uh, but, sure. Uh, what we've seen in recent times, that's not what's going on in the NHL. And at the end of the day, that's, that's not going to help teams build their teams. And uh, from what I from what I can see, but yeah, I'm not down on Jack Eichel, and I'm not even going to go into you know we heard some rumblings with the old coach and him, and I don't know what happened with that, but he he looks like a tremendous talent, and and if all I I would agree with you if 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 he stays healthy, um, he could be a top ten, top fifteen talent, no doubt. And and don't be wrong, he's very important to the Sabers. But uh, well, let's let's project then. Let's go down five years. Um, Let's say he's perennially a top ten, top eight scorer in the league. As as you say, salaries do keep going up. Uh, McDavid's deal, no, you know, is what it is. But by then, Dowdy's right. going to come up. Kane's, I think, is going to be due. Um, you know, a lot of these other contracts are going to be due, and like you said, they're going to be looking at the ten, twelve million because they are Stanley Cup champions. They have already proven themselves in the league, so they're going to be saying, depending on obviously what McDavid and the Oilers do, and we'll get into that a little bit later with Rob Saria. But let let's say Edmonton, for for whatever reason, uh, doesn't win any Stanley Cups here in the next few years. All of those players are going to be saying, "Hey." We're Stanley Cup champions multiple times. We need to make more than this third, fourth year player who hasn't done anything in this league. So now you're talking about guys that are going to be asking for $15 million a year, eight year deals. So then when you look at Jack Eichel's $8 million a year deal um, to be a top 10 scorer in the league, you you end up with uh, maybe a bargain contract going forward. So, I mean, Actually, it's 10, ten million a year. Is it ten million a year? I thought he got eight, yeah. eight for eighty. Okay, ten million a year. So, so you're still you're still going to be a few million dollars under league average for that type of player, uh, four or five years down the line. And that could be what the general managers and the and the brain trust in Buffalo are thinking that they have all the faith in the world that Jack Eichel is going to become that player, and you're you're looking at a, a bargain contract coming coming up four or five years down the road after the next labor negotiation. It's hard to pay someone $15 million a year in a sport where you have a 23-man roster and you only have $75 million, you know, so, and, you know, you're going to have a number... 100%. To be a top team, yeah. To be a top team, you're going to have a, a top goalie, you're going to have, you know, at least three, you know, two at least two top-notch defensemen, if not three, uh, and and then your top top forwards, and then on top of that, you know, even your in between players, your second line forward, your second line defenseman, you know, they're they're they they're making five six million a year. So what I'm just saying, like, it just it just doesn't make what's going down in the league. And again, I I don't blame the players at all. Hey, if someone's offering it to you, you take it. It, it we're we're basically heading. <coughs> excuse me. I don't think cold here. We're basically heading for, you know, the the, the bubble. The, you know, we can't. The bubble's going to burst. <laughs> so, what's going to be the ramifications, uh, you know, of that? Um, you know, again, this is a deal. If you're looking from the Jack Eichel standpoint, this is a no-brainer, right? You get he got 
his sure. security, a long-term deal, and he got paid like he was an unrestricted free agent. So I'm just saying, like, that just and, – and he's years away from free agency. So, you know, in terms of the team standpoint, I'm not really sure how they benefit, you know, from this. Uh, like I said, if this was a sport like a few years ago where no cap and you could argue, you know, like you said, maybe – Three years from now, people will be making fifteen, sixteen, seventeen million. But I just don't see that how that's feasible with the way the cap has been growing. Well, well, you gotta you gotta anticipate the cap getting north of seventy five million in the next um, five years as well. So you, you looking at the eight years for eighty as a percentage of what the projected cap increases and, and it's gone up. I mean, I know we've had to force escrow and, and a few, few tricks of the trade. It's basically been a flat cap this year, but you have a, a new league with new TV revenue coming into the deal. That's going to put a new team, right. With, with new TV money, a, a new, a new TV deal with AT&T sports net, Rocky mountain channel. What, uh, that was actually picked up by Cox Communications here in town at the last minute yesterday. So everybody in the Valley was able to watch the Golden Knights game last night. Um, so there's a little bit more TV money going to be coming in. Um, at, and then break it down as a percentage of what an $80 million cap hit in the next five years would be. There's, I mean, there's smarter people than me. There's capologists and, and so on and so forth. Um, the other thing, and I, and I know this from my good friend Tom, um, who's from Buffalo, that Buffalo has a bit of a chip on their shoulder about, about being a Buffalonian. And it's a, it's a good chip to have. They're a small market team. They're, they're continuously and, and historically a top 10 NHL market in attendance, um, despite you know, a, a, a long, rough stretch of hockey in Buffalo. And Jack Eichel has, you know, publicly said he, he likes Buffalo. He likes being in Buffalo. He's sold in. He's, you know, he's all in for the city. And to people in Buffalo, that means a lot. When, um, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the Buffalo Bills running back who was. Um, Thurman Thomas. No, 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 not, you know, re recently traded from the Eagles. Um, when when oh, he first um, was. Yes. Um, you, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. But when he was traded there and I talked to, with Tom about this, he was less than thrilled with going to Buffalo. And <coughs> excuse me, I think I have the same cold that you have, Chris. Um, he was ostracized and, and widely lambasted in, in, uh, the Twitter spear and everywhere else from Buffalo, you know, if, and when, um, Daniel Breer and Chris Drury both left the Sabres back in the, in the nineties. Um, it was a case of, you don't want to be here, get the heck out. Uh, and, and please let the door hit you, uh, where the good Lord split you as you leave our city. And, uh, they were booed in Buffalo for the rest of their career. So if you got a kid who wants to be in Buffalo specifically and, and is proud to play for the Sabres, I think, I think that means a lot to the people of Buffalo. And, and you know, after his entry-level deal expires and this kicks in, they're going to have Eichel for um, the next nine, ten years, right? So if, if you got a kid like that and, and, and the skill set that he has, I think, I think that's a gamble that, that might – you know, salary cap wise may come back to bite you. Um, I think that that remains to be seen depending on what the next CBA brings and where the salary cap goes, but I'm not gonna, I'm uh, not gonna I'll hate make, on what, like, go ahead. I, I'll make one last point. Uh, look for when the negotiations start, which I think we're just a couple of years away uh, for the next CBA between owners and players look for the owners to push a new rule to protect themselves. And if you think about it, they already have it. Now, we look at recent history with certain stars like Jamie Benn, uh, Brent Burns from last year, uh, you know, John Tavares now. Um, teams could not talk theoretically, talk contracts 
or ink that player, right, until they were in the last year of their deal. And what, why would they have that rule? You know, if, if John Tavares was, you know, if he's halfway through his deal, and why couldn't the Islanders at that point, if it was, you know, make work sense for them to approach him to extend the deal at that point? But per the CBA, you know, the rules are until that July 1st, where he basically has 12 months to go, uh, you know, only then can you ink that player to a deal. And the, the reason being is because a lot can happen to that player in terms of production, in terms of health. And in a way, it, it's a way to stop or curtail bad contracts, if you will. Okay? It, it makes sure. it, you know, make it go, go longer, the, the longest you possibly can before signing that extension. So what I'm saying is they're going to push for, uh, if, you know, given they already have that kind of rule in place, they will push for, let's say, well, a, let's say a player can't sign no more than, uh, let's say, a three-year extension until he's been in the league five years. You know, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not saying they'll get it, but and, and the only reason you need a rule like that is because they need a rule to protect themselves from themselves. <laughs> Excuse me. And that's why they have that other rule in terms of you can't sign someone to an extension while they're in a long-term contract until they're 12 months to go. I mean, because if you think about it, why why shouldn't they be able to sign them at any point in time if they're happy with them? And, and maybe uh, it's a good point in time for them. So, you know, uh, I think I think from afar all these other teams, uh, they're going to bring up all these different points. And, and uh the players in the unions going to be like, oh, why are you blaming us for decisions, for actions, the decisions you guys have done? You know, so unfortunately, I think we're going to be headed for an, uh, uh, another contentious uh, labor battle. So maybe we should go on to the Knights because we kind of <coughs> broke. We went a little heavy on Jack. Yeah. So uh, give me your thoughts. I'm sure you saw the game last night. Why don't you break it down uh, for everybody? Well, first, let me give a shout out to the Golden Knights and the Golden Knights organization for uh, how they jumped into the community here after what happened in Vegas last Sunday night. Um, they were, you know, there's a lot to be done going into the first game of a franchise and just for any team going into the first game of the season. And they took a lot of time in the community visiting with the first responders and the hospitals for, for some of the victims that they visited um, and really... I think became a part of the community in doing so. And Mr. Foley and the Golden Knights organization put up, I think they, they partnered with the NHL and put up half a million and then came back and put up another 300,000. My numbers could be wrong, but they really, they really uh, stepped up to the plate and my hats off to them and, and to the first responders, of course, uh, for what happened last, last Sunday night here in Las Vegas. Um, so, so kudos to the Golden Knights for, for solidifying their, their point in the community through, through a, a very trying time here in Las Vegas. But uh, when it did come down to it and they were on the ice, I think what we saw was what may be the prototypical type of Vegas Golden Knights game this year. Um, look, I'm gonna have a write up on on VegasHockeyPodcast.com today with my my breakdown of the game. So make sure you look for that on our at VegasHockeyPod Twitter feed, and uh, click over to our 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 website there if you want to see uh, our breakdown of the game. But what you know, they came out in the first ten minutes and uh, a lot of energy. It, it's going to be a very fast team. Uh, they were skating with Dallas um, pretty much the whole night, but Dallas certainly after that first 10 minutes or so did take control, you know, at, even the first period, they, uh, Anton Roussel took a, like three, pen, three penalties in a row. One, one horrible penalty. He jumped out of the penalty box and played the puck while he was still in the box and just turned right around and went back into the box for interference. Um, so, so they had Dallas had some discipline problems early in the game and that probably allowed Vegas to, uh, you know, carry the puck play for most of the first period being a, uh, but unable to capitalize on any of their opportunities. And uh, coming into the second period, Dallas really did take over the game. Uh, I was looking at some of the stats. I think they outshot the Knights like 24 to 8, 21 to 8 in that 
in that second period and did did take the lead about three minutes into the second period. And I'm going to give Marc-Andre Fleury first star of the game because he was on his head uh, the whole night. And it, it's definitely on him that he had to keep the team close to give James Neal a chance in the third period to, you know, perform his, his, I don't want to use the word heroics after this week, but, uh, you know, he came down with, you know, 10 minutes left in the game and pretty much being dominated by the stars in the face-off circle, the hits department, uh, outshot 46 to 30 or some, some such, <laughs> some such nonsense. Dallas, Dallas was definitely taking the play to him, but, uh, nice drop pass from Nate Schmidt over to over to James Neal, skated down to the right circle. He snapped a wrister in through through traffic, may have went off a Stars player to tie the game. And then five minutes later, with uh, at the 17-minute mark, uh, it, 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 Jason Garrison got the puck from center ice to uh, Cody Eakin. Cody Eakin, having come over to the Stars, or to the Knights from the Dallas Stars in the expansion draft, who split the defense and came down the left side, uh, two on one with Neil on the right, and somehow somehow slipped a pass under a sprawling Dallas defender over to Neil on the right side, who was was had to reach behind him to get the pass, and then from his knees lifted it up over Lettinen, who had replaced Ben Bishop in the game, and uh, put the game winner in. So definitely, uh, definitely, probably you know, the kind of game that the Knights are going to have to do, uh, skate fast. Our old friend Matt Pryor said once uh, a few years back about the Dallas Stars, if you can't win, lose exciting. And I think that's kind of what we're going to see from the Knights. They're a fast team. Uh, they were creating a lot of chances. Ben Bishop played good, you know, uh, shutting the door on most of their chances, but they were on their heels most of the, most of the second period and, and into deep into the third. But if Flurry can, if Flurry can do what Flurry does and he seems to get better when, you know, the more rubber he faces, the better in the game he is. And that's a good trait to have when, uh, you know, there's a little lack of, and it's opening night and, and the roster that, that came to Dallas may not be the roster uh, for very long, actually depending on what George right. McPhee can do. Um, but if well, Flurry's going to have to keep, uh, keep him in a lot of games, and and if we, you can get just enough offense to win 2-1, win 3-2, to one, three to two, you don't want to get into too many shootouts with talented teams like Dallas. So Flurry's going to have to do what he did last night for a lot of the season, but it was a fun game to watch. Uh, I got a point on last night's game and then uh, a couple other points to open up to finish this segment uh, in terms of the trade they made and potential moves coming. Um, as I said to you before the uh, Dana, before the season started, I said the first 20 games, a bunch of players who haven't, who haven't played with one another, new coaching staff, I said, uh, you know, I feel like they're going to really need the goaltend, the goalies, to play well those first 20 games until they get rhythm with each other. And obviously, stopping 45 out of 46 shots falls in that category. So they're, they're going to, you know, need enough of those games to to, to have a solid record. Uh, in terms of the Calvin Picker trade, picking up Malcolm Supan, I know Dana is not a fan. <laughs> I don't want to speak to him, but in, in prior shows. Um, but look, at the end of the day, uh, their organization, their scouts, they like Supan better than Picard. And, uh, you know, if Colin Miller wasn't there in expansion, maybe they would have picked Supan. So I don't have a problem with that. They moved Picard. They didn't get a lot for him. You got a late uh, draft pick uh, in this coming draft, sixth round, and and they got a, a young kid. We'll see what happens. He, I can tell you, based on the spring issue of the Hockey News' Future Watch, he was now one of Toronto's top ten prospects. Not that he can't be a future NHL player, but you know they got let's say a B level prospect at best and a future late pick. I think McPhee though needs to move forward with all these these defensemen. You know, uh, basically, the summer has passed, training camp is over. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, he needs to put his 
you know, best team together. And if at the end of the day that means someone like John Merrill or Griffin Reinhardt, you wind up losing to waivers, um, you know, so be it. it. Uh, yes, you sir. know, to be to be to be to be fair, you know, those guys at best are third pairing defensemen for teams really, really uh, lacking depth on defense. And it's not like he's he's holding out. Like if he holds out, he's going to get a second round pick for them. So no. and, and quite honestly, he's he's not going to be able to play all these guys. You know, uh, if Alex Tuck and Theodore should be here and helping their development. You know, I'm not going to go crazy if the first, you know, two, three games winds up being this way and then they, they pull the Band-Aid, if you will. But, you know, if this is going right. on for, you know, week for the month of October, uh, that's a problem. Then I have a problem. You know, so, yes, sir. And, uh, yeah. you know, also Vadim Chipachov, your $4.5 million Russian superstar, is also starting the season in Chicago, although he wasn't there – as far as I know, he didn't make it to the game, oddly enough, also in Texas last night. Um, Theodore goes down, scores two goals in the season opener for Chicago. Um, he's going to make his point. He needs to be in the National Hockey League. So, uh, And Alex Tuck, I thought, played his way onto the roster as well. And, and you know, Vadim Shipachov is, is, you know, projected to be your first-line center. Um that that'll move Eakin down the depth chart. That'll move Marshall's show back to the wing where he played a little bit of center last night as well. Um, and that'll strengthen up your face-off percentage and so on and so forth. So yeah, if you wait till you you get back to Vegas after tonight, uh, you know Sunday Monday you do what you have to do to get those three guys back out of the AHL on onto the big club. Uh, Bite the bullet, do what you may, you might have bit off more than up with defensemen on and and get to like onto the NHL rosters. That I, I think that that's going to give you your best going forward. Um, I, I want to see Shipashoff in the in the lineup for the home opener. I want to see Tuck on the roster and I want to see Theodore on the roster. They're not uh, they're not going to do anybody any good in the AHL long term, like you say, to keep uh, Reinhardt and and Spitha. And, and Merrill up up on that 23-man roster. That's not, I don't think, ideally the team. For the, the picker trade, it, it, I'm not a fan. Um, I'm, not, I'm not really excited about Subban. I said he's not really ready to play in the NHL right now. Um, I think Boston agrees with that, and that's why they <laughs> – That I mean, Boston agrees with that. They, they, they gave up on him and moved him out for a six um, or, you know, who has NHL. I'm losing my train of thought here. And I, yeah. Um, I'm not, and I'm not against, you know, look, I mean, it may not sound sexy. Like for instance, the six round pick they got in the deal for, um, right, right, right. I mean, I could tell you here from the Islanders recent draft history, you know, Andres Lee, who scored 34 goals last year. Uh, who who scored? Uh, he scored twenty five goals two years ago. He was a six round pick. <laughs> Matt Martin. Oh yeah, it's, it's certainly player. possible. It was, yeah, I know. So you can find players more unlikely, but so yeah, look, for sure. if he can if he can if he can get a couple of fifth round picks, you can, you they're, they're like nuggets. You grab as many of those nuggets as you can get. I'm not demeaning the value of that, uh, but at a certain point, you got to face reality and realize, you know what. There really is no trade value for these guys, uh, you know, and everyone knows I'm I'm in a corner here. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm in a corner here. So I, I just got to pull the Band-Aid. Maybe they'll get through waivers, and if they don't, they don't. Yeah, well, I mean, you could go back, and uh, Henrik Lundqvist was the 210th pick overall. So uh, Luke Robitaille, I think, was yeah. the 12th round pick, and he ended up the highest scoring left winger in National Hockey League history when he retired. Jonathan Quick was a third-round pick, and he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion goaltender. So it's certainly possible to use a sixth, but you you took in you what what they did was they took a strength of the team, which was goaltending, and probably one of the few strengths that the team has, and made it weaker. Um, and I don't know if there was a, a, a 
I don't know what went on behind the scenes, whether Pickard wanted the chance to play more than than what he was going to get. And there's a gentleman's agreement that, yeah, okay, if, if there's an offer, we'll, we'll go ahead and move you out if we can get a, a, a viable I NHL backup. I think, so, they like the, I think they think there's potential in Malcolm Supa. Now, here's the thing. Being a young player, he needs to play. So put him in there. Uh, I'm sure he'll play tonight after last night with Flory playing, having such a hectic game. <laughs> is, you know, is, is, a lot of rubber. A lot of rubber last night. Right. He, you know, and and really, it, if, I mean. If he, doesn't, if he doesn't play, you know what I mean? So not, he's going to need to Not to disrespect. Not to disrespect uh, uh, Subban, but if you're going to start your backup goalie and it is Subban, then uh, perhaps going up against Arizona is kind of a good place to get your feet wet. Anyway, I've got Rob Soria on the line here. We're going to go ahead and bring in Rob. He joins us uh, for some Edmonton Oilers talk. He is an author of the book, Connor McDavid the National Hockey League's next great one. And he covers the Oilers for the hockeywriters.com. Rob, sir, welcome back to the show. We appreciate having you on once again. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. And first off, I would, before we get to the hockey talk, I would like to uh, let you know personally uh, that nonsense that's going on in your neck of the woods has uh, all us Canadians uh, putting your, all of you in our thoughts and prayers for sure. It's uh, craziness going on there, and all the best to you guys dealing with that situation. Well, thank you, sir. And also, I want everybody that in the states basically got zero coverage, but there was also uh, an actual terrorist attack in Edmonton where somebody ran his car through a crowd of through a policeman and a crowd of people. And I've been trying to get the word out about that because for some reason the media in the United States wasn't covering that at all. So my thoughts and prayers also are to the people in Edmonton and and our friends in Canada uh, as they go through that as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely it's a crazy world we live in, sir. And and it's it's been a strange week here in Las Vegas, but we did have a, a nice little a nice little diversion last night as the Golden Knights did pick up their first win and kind of gave us something to uh, smile about for the first time in a week uh, as they beat the Dallas Stars two to one. So thank you, sir, for your sentiments. We we do appreciate that as well. Oh, for sure. And again, thanks uh, coming my way as well. And yeah, that game was uh, entertaining for sure. And uh, I, I know you, you guys are hoping, uh, that things go well this year, but uh, if you guys get stuck like that, or win or lose, but exciting hockey, um, you should. That's the best. Happy. That's the best we can hope for. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Flurry yeah. standing on his head, yeah. keeping us in games when we're being outshot forty-five to twenty-five, and and uh, Neil Pot and a couple late in the game. That's kind of what I think the prototype game is for the Golden Knights this season. Uh, don't really want to go back and forth in a track meet like like they were doing with Dallas last night on a consistent basis with teams with that kind of skill. But uh, I see why the Golden Knights did take Flurry uh, as their backstop to start these things off with because he faced a lot of rubber last night and uh, kept him in the game. So I think that's, you know, like you said, win, win or lose, you look for growth, you look for excitement. Uh, and I think that's the kind of game that'll, that'll keep Vegas interested while the growth period happens. Yeah, for sure. And and that's the the thing with Flurry. He's always been that guy. We didn't always see it at times with Pittsburgh as they evolved as a club. But he's one of those goalies who, you know, his his game ramps up with more rubber that he sees and a lot of goalies sure. are like that, but he really is. And uh yeah, he he might be dead by the All-Star break, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he'll he'll play damn well in the meantime, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, we brought you in to talk a little bit about the Edmonton Oilers, and we're young into the season. The Oilers are uh, a lot of teams, a lot of people's darlings in the West this year, um, and with with good cause. I think they've p- finally structured a roster, uh, and, and at the time I was, and I don't know if I spoke with you about this, but I was I, a lot of people hated on the Taylor Hall trade, and you got to give to get in this league if you're trading. Look at uh, how, what Nashville had to do moving out Johansson to pick up the young Seth Jones. 
a couple other deals that they made where you have to give up a piece to get a piece. And Larson really solidified that decor, moving a couple other players back down into more suitable roles uh, on the, the fourth, fifth defenseman. Um, and obviously bringing in Talbot paid huge dividends, and I look for him to have, you know, maybe even a better season this year. Um, what are some of the other off-season moves that Oilers have done to place them in that upper echelon in the Pacific and the Western Conference? Well, honestly, man, I think the fact that they didn't do a whole hell of a lot is going to put them in that upper echelon. After a decade long of nothing but change and a revolving door beat behind the de- behind the bench or on the ice, um, they actually have some stability this year, which is a nice thing. Um, no yes. question, I agree with you. The the addition of uh, Larson helped, as did the addition of Russell last year, and being able to push guys back. But the one thing a lot of people seem to forget. They essentially added Oscar Clefbaum too, because Clefbaum really didn't right. play the year before once he got hurt, and and he's their best defenseman by a wide margin. Um, so you know the the addition this uh, this summer of Jokinen I think was a, a shrewd move and should help. I think a veteran guy like that who you can you know dabble at center or even at, if nothing else help at the in the faceoff dot will help a veteran presence to use anywhere up and down the lineup uh, if you know if he gets hot or injuries occur. So that that was a good uh, pickup in my opinion. Um, you know the the fact they don't have Sekera for potentially till the start of the new year um, is problematic. But uh, the Oilers, fortunately for them, uh, very similar to last season, they get a pretty uh, soft schedule in October. So if they can take advantage of it again, like they did last year, um, they should be okay. But but it's hard to you know there's you know you watch McDavid and just just McDavid alone there are other pieces there but when you watch what that kid does on a nightly basis it's hard not to you know put the Oilers in uh in a bracket with teams that could do something in a league that quite frankly doesn't have anything in my opinion that's close to a Stanley Cup favorite like you know there isn't one there's probably 10 12 teams that have a shot at at winning it as things currently stand let me throw this hey, over to Chris there you go oh Hey, hey, Rob, uh, good to talk to you again, as always. And um, so, you know, Rob, when the season ended last year, I said to myself, you know, expectations, you know, next year in Western Canada are going to be through the roof. And, you know, I wondered how this young oiler, oiler team would ha- handle that. I did not expect that the national media were going to be on the bandwagon as quickly as they are. You know, obviously, the hockey news picked them to go to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I, I I couldn't believe even over here in the New York papers last last Sunday they had their you know different papers had their hockey previews. I want to say at least half the hockey writers had the Oilers in the Stanley Cup Finals. And while I, I don't get me wrong, I could see why one would be high on the Oilers. You know there are like you said on most teams a number of question marks and you know so how do you, how do you think that's going to play out? I mean I know they're not in the uh, you could argue in the weakest division. But um, how, how do you see uh, those expectations affecting the team? Um, honestly, I don't know if it'll affect this group of players that much. Um, I've been saying all summer that, you know, because you're right, it's not just good old uh, Oiler fans out in this neck of the woods. It has grown um, everywhere from a national standpoint, especially national media, as you suggested. And I, I don't know. I I just don't. Could they do it? Yes. But... It, they do have a lot of question marks, right? And and the one thing people don't realize, last year, essentially the Oilers were healthy. All their key players were healthy start to finish. Um, and the, everyone else started to click. And McDavid started to click. And Talbot played at an elite, elite level. Um, now, if all those things occur, you're right. With the fact they play in the division they do, um, there's a good chance they'll go into the playoffs uh, in pretty good position. That said, what the you know what the roster is now compared to what the roster is leading into the playoffs will probably be some additions and subtractions made. Um, but in my opinion, and I've said this you know leading into the season, if the Oilers end anywhere in the top three in the Pacific, in my opinion, that's fine because Anaheim's a really good team. They like the Oilers. Have some injuries they're going to have to deal with even more than the Oilers uh, for the first couple of months of the season. I think Calgary's a really good team. And while I don't think L.A. or San Jose are on that level, I do think 
either one of those could surprise, especially L.A. with uh, not having Sutter behind the bench. Maybe things change, right? And uh, guys are locked, and we'll see. We didn't really see it in their first game, but, hey, um, you know, the season is obviously young. So I still think uh, – and I don't think the division's as bad as some people make it out to think, but they do have the advantage of having Arizona, Vancouver, and now Vegas in there, right? So um, it'll be a good they'll, – they'll do well. But, again, uh, some people do need to reel it in a little bit. I'm, I'm totally fine with a top three finish wherever they finish, though, you know, picking them as the favorite is what I would do as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up, Rob, because I was going to follow up with, uh, you know, with the Central being so stout, you know, when you look uh, look at the top six teams, you know, you could easily see how both wild cards uh, could come from that, from the Central. Um, You know, and I look at the Ducks and Oilers as, you know, one, two, whatever order you want to put them in, in terms of winning the regular, uh, winning the division. To me, it's kind of a, a you know a fight for that last precious automatic spot. Uh, you know, maybe being a guy who sees these teams regularly. Uh, we did our Pacific Division preview last week, but you know, obviously, it sounds like you're high on Calgary, which I can understand as long as you know Mike Smith stays healthy. But you know, you have you know Calgary, San Jose, L.A., and maybe you know if you want to say Arizona, if a lot of things come together, those four teams Ooh. fighting. Uh, uh, for that for that one spot, did I did I leave somebody out? I, I don't think so. So how, how do you see that race going for that last automatic spot? Yeah, I, I don't think Arizona will be in that uh-uh. that mix at all. <laughs> I just don't think they're good enough. Um, now, could they get hot for a bit? You never know. Um, but those other teams, I just think there's too much depth. And yeah, it's, and again, Calgary could be in that group as well. I just I'm in the that defense is so good and. I think Smith will be good this year, to be honest with you. I know a lot of people didn't like the signing. Um, I don't like it from their standpoint that it's a, he has two years left on the deal. But on a one-year, I think Smith will be fine. He'll probably relish the fact that he has defensemen in front of him that can move the puck. And I don't think enough is being made of the fact that his ability to transition the puck behind the net to his defensemen is going to mean the, you know, the puck isn't going to be in their end at all, unless they play the Oilers, of course, because then they, they <laughs> seem to struggle mightily when McDavid's on the ice. But they are not alone in that one, right? So No, no, that's, yeah, that's really, league-wide. Yeah, and I really do think the Kings, it will come down to the Kings, um, possibly Flames, and uh, San Jose, like I said. But, yeah, the Kings in San Jose are really a crapshoot because we really don't know what to expect. But there's still so much talent there that uh, they can definitely surprise. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about Jesse Pugliarvi. Um I believe he's, he's starting the year down in Bakersfield. Um, what was it What was it that – is it just a matter of depth and, and waiver exemption that allowed him to go back down to the AHL? Or is there something that he needs to – to work on and shore up in his game before he can come back and join the Oilers because he was kind of a highly touted guy. And, and it seems like the bloom is off the flower a little bit with him there in Edmonton. Um, he's an interesting one. It's uh, there's a couple of things there, right? I think uh, everyone fell into the, you know, with the Oilers, all their top, you know, first round picks always made the team, right? That's just how it was right. because they were never enough. Um, you know, I, I honestly think he could have made the team this year um, out of camp. Uh, he was so-so during training camp, but again, when he was given the opportunity to play with better players, essentially he played a period with McDavid and got three points um, in a game that he wasn't, you know, overly noticeable in the first two periods. Um, but I think the combination of them maybe wanting him to work on a few things, be it away from the puck mostly, um, and the fact Yamamoto was as good as he was during the po- during the preseason, I think it's you know a combination of maybe let's give this kid a little more time in the minors to find where exactly his game is at, what he needs to do, and honestly maybe give him that little push, um, that kick that's needed, so when he comes back up he'll be raring to go. And you know it also gives Yamamoto the chance to get a handful of games. I I can't see that kid sticking around this year past the nine games at the absolute most. It just makes no sense from an Oilers standpoint uh, to start his clock sooner than they need to. Um, but yeah, and right. Some, with, and the one other thing with Pugliarvi that Oilers fans have to understand: yes, he was a top, he was a top uh, pick, but the fact he went in the draft where he did and 
in the draft that he did with Line A and Matthews, he's not that kind of player. He's going to be a player in this league who, you know, will probably be a 20 to 25 at max 36 or 30 goal guy, but he's going to do multiple things. Um, his ability to shoot the puck and his foot speed has already improved and his size goes without saying are all pluses. And in my opinion, at some point he's going to end up on McDavid's wing. And when that occurs, um, I think you'll see a whole different player. And again, he, you know, he's a kid. He's still 19, right. if I'm not mistaken. Like, <laughs> right. You know, it's the thing. Like, yeah, you know, there's no need to rush him, but I do expect him to see, to have him come back up. And I also think that's part of the reason they brought in Jokinen to help him with the transition. You know, Rob, uh, Chris, again, you know, um, probably arguably the biggest move the Oilers made was the trade they made with the Islanders uh, right around uh, last June, trading Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom and, you know, uh, as someone who's seen uh, Ryan Strom's entire career, you know, it, it's it's a little bit of a mystery to me because, you know, he came up his first year, he played uh, the second half of the year, and he played very well. And then in his first pro season, uh, you know, played, uh, you know, 80, plus, 80 games or so, put up 50 points, was a plus 23. And then really since then, it's been a combination of inconsistency being lost times, uh, both offensively, especially defensively, been good on the power play uh, in terms of moving the puck around. But I mean, I saw games with him where he was he was all over the place, and then but there were far too many games where he was invisible. Now, having said all that, like you just said before, I believe Ryan is only twenty three, twenty four. Um, just curious, what what who's he going to be playing with uh, early on and you know what? Do you, what have you seen out of Ryan Strom? Let's say through training camp, or uh, what you envision with him? Um, I know a lot of people are going on heading into the preseason that they foresee him getting a lot of time with McDavid, and hence why, and I still don't understand why, so many people have him penciled in for. 60, 70 points if he plays with McDavid. I was just kind of like, well, I don't know what we're basing that on. Uh, nothing in his NHL career um, states that he'd be a 60 to 70 point guy. I don't care who he's playing with, you know. As good a season as Maroon had last year, I think he had like 40 points, you know. So just because you're on McDavid's wing doesn't mean you're going to be a point collector. Um, I think for Strom, it works out best that he came in when he did. Uh, large chunks of this fan base had turned on Taylor Hall before the trade, and then the same happened with Eberle, especially with his uneven performance last year. Honestly, man, after the, that trade was made, I don't think it was a very good trade for the Oilers in my opinion, but that is, that's another matter. But um, most of this fan base were all in on the Strom signing as he's going to be this, you know, he's going to give you exactly what Eberle gives. And I was like, well, no, he's not, because there are only a handful of wingers who score at the clip Eberle does. Um Currently, he's more so down the lineup in a third-line role, and, and honestly, that's what I see from Strom. He's going to be jumping up and down somewhere within the top nine. Um, he'll probably see time with McDavid at times. Um, when the Oilers split up Dreisaitl and McDavid at times, because that's going to happen as well, You know, Strom could end up on either one of their wings. So I think he's going to be a utility guy. I think McClellan, Todd McClellan's going to use him in such a way where he's going to do a bit of everything for them. Jack of all trades, shall we say. And um, it, I think he'll be a good fit in that sense. But again, it comes down to expectations. If people are expecting Strom to come in here and be this 25, 60 point guy, they're dreaming. I don't foresee that happening. But you'd be a better one equipped to answer that than me. Like you said, having seen him as much as you have, I've probably seen Strom play, I don't know, maybe 30 games in his career. And yeah, there's nothing that's ever stood out to me where I was like, uh, this guy's like a step away from, you know, reaching that next level. But, hey, I could be wrong. You know, it's funny. It's funny, Rob. After the first year and a half of his career, it, you can make an argument. You could see that. But the last two yeah. years have really been have been rough. And, you know, the way I look at it is as much as Jordan Eberle might have been up and down last year, he still scored 50 points. And, yep. you know, Ryan Strom had, I think, 30. Now, granted, he missed yep. the last 15 games or so. But, you know, so, you know, an Everly up and down year, I mean, uh, compared to, uh, you know, where Strom is at. I'm rooting for him. He's a good guy. He wants to do all the right things. So it's not a case of, 
of uh, being a diva or anything like that. Uh, I, I think maybe, you know, new opportunity kind of thing, but uh, but they are fanatical in your neck of the woods, so uh, the, the expectations, I thought, might be a little bit high. Obviously, to get the most out of them, you're going to have to put him with some skilled players, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah, and I think the Oilers have enough depth now, depending, like I said, how they end up using their three centermen, if you include Dreisaitl in that mix they can push depth around. But I honestly think part of the reason the Oilers are starting the season the way they are with Dreisaitl on the wing is, as I mentioned earlier, that schedule is soft. And they'd be completely crazy to not try and pounce on banking points in October. And the best way that's going to happen is by playing those two together, just because, you know, the chemistry is there. They automatically click. They didn't even play much, if at all, during the preseason together. So, you know, if you have to flip back and forth here and there and always go back to that early on, bank those points, and then you kind of figure out things, you know, as we go from there. But Strom, to his credit, he's come in, said all the right things, fit in well. Um, he seems like a really cool kid, a nice kid as well. So, And he seems also pretty excited for the opportunity of even potentially getting some time with uh, with McDavid. And with him, at least, you know, he did have some time with Tavares as well, so it's not like a complete uh, – shock to the system with playing with an elite player. All right, we're talking with Rob Soria on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. And one thing, too, about that deal is you've got to be looking uh, Everly as the higher scoring, uh, more glamorous skill player, if you will, down the road is going to be looking at a, a salary bump. And Strom being the kind of the prototypical third-line winger in the league today isn't going to eat up as much cap space if they choose to keep him around at the end of his deal. Is that uh, possibly something that, that, you know, and, and another thing too, championship teams need Ryan Stroms. You know, they don't, you don't make up championship teams by putting, um, unless you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, not, so, so many skill players in and not enough players that can play 200 foot of the ice. And I, I think if you want to, to look at what Ryan Strom can bring to the Oilers is he can he can do some things or is more willing to do some things uh, 200 feet away from his own net than maybe Everly was. And, you know, that kind of player is absolutely necessary on Stanley Cup teams. And that that's the goal now in Edmonton where, you know, as you said, for the last decade it was um, – try to put everything together, build the roster, see which pieces are going to fit, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, bring in Shirelli. He's done a real nice job of putting that roster together. And I think that that and the salary cap, the future salary cap ramifications had a lot to do with that deal, don't you? Oh, for sure. Like, without question. And there, again, I think part of it, too, was to change up the mix a little bit more as well. And like you said, get in those guys in a bottom six role that can help. Um the issue the Oilers are going to have, though, and, and it starts next year once McDavid starts starts making his money, like you said, cap-wise, even a guy like Strom, like Strom makes $3 million now. He, he's not going to go in the opposite direction in his RFA year like he's just not. So even if he gets, let's say, worst-case scenario, he makes a, he gets a million-dollar hike, you're still talking about a $4 million player on, on potentially a, a bottom six spot and with the Oilers that's going to be difficult because while I know some will point to Dreisaitl and um, McDavid making roughly 21 million between the two of them as the problem that's not really the issue the issue is you're going to have Lucic making six million dollars for the next four or five years five years and Sakara well and but Sakara they can move if need be but though if they do move Sakara that creates a massive hole on the back right absolutely next yeah, and next year you're going to have uh, Darnell Nurse and Benning are going to make, again, they're not going to make a ton of money, but they're going to make more than, they're both under a million bucks this year. Um, when Talbot comes up, if they sign him, again, Talbot might go up a little, but he's only made, he's already making four mil, so goaltenders are only going to go up so much, in my opinion. So then you start to look at the Lucic deal. You start to look at, which was the head-scratcher for me, was them signing Russell to the extension they did at the term. Um, and then you look at a guy like Patrick Maroon. Like, honestly, guys, if, if Maroon puts anything close to the season he did last year together this year, and I don't see any reason why he won't. The guy has sick mitts around the net and has played really, really well with McDavid. He makes $2 million. There is no way on God's green earth he is going to make 
than four to five million. And if he does, he's crazy because it's his one chance to make money. He owes it to himself and his family to go out there and get as much as he can. Now, if the Oilers want to give him, you know, three and a half to four mil and give him like a six or seven year deal, well, I guess they could, but then that creates a bigger issue down the line as well. And remember, too, the Oilers bought out Pouliot this year. So they're going to have that cap hit for the upcoming years as well. It may be minimal, but when you're talking like an extra mil and a half, that, that's, you know, with, with that the adds that's up. Going to be yeah, with the team paying the kind of money they're going to to their elite players. A million here, a million there, four million to Russell. Next thing you know, you're pushed up against the cap, and it becomes really difficult to uh, to keep guys around. So I really think you're going to see the Oilers kind of use a Penguins type of thing where you bring a lot of kids to bring up the bottom the bottom nine or bottom six up front and then try and mix in the odd veteran at a deal who wants to, you know, either revive his career or go out with a, a chance at a cup playing with McDavid. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of interesting things going on here. And, uh, but they're all positive. I will say that. And when you have the, in, in my opinion, whether he's the best player in the league or not, he's certainly the most exciting player in the league. And I don't think it's even close. Um, so as long as that guy's around here, the Oilers are going to be, a talking point in a fun story moving forward. All right. We've only got about three minutes left on uh, Robin. We thank you for taking time out of your Saturday to join us. Tell everybody where they can get your book and where they can find you out there in the, in the blogosphere, if you will. Okay. Thanks. Um, as you had mentioned, yeah, I'm writing right now for the hockey writers. I've been doing that for a few years now. You can reach me via Twitter at uh, what is it? Oil underscore drop um and book wise um it's in my neck of the woods it's available in all bookstores you know for us that's chapters indigo um that's our big thing here and amazon.ca and amazon.com it's available everywhere for people to order away um yeah it was it was pretty cool project to do i rather enjoyed it and it weren't worked out pretty good with the oilers run uh into the playoffs so excitement in this city is pretty it's pretty high, guys. I got to tell you, I <laughs> I lived through the Gretzky era and stuff like that, and it was funny. I was mentioned to a couple of people after the Oilers opener that you hear so many young Oilers fans going on about McDavid and how how good he is, and I was like, for the longest time, none of them could relate to what it was like to watch <laughs> Gretzky. And while it's not the same, certain aspects of it is the same, <laughs> and and they're just all like, wow, he's so good. And I was like, yeah, this is what us, us old folks have been telling you for like about a decade now, but. Now you get right. to experience it. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to a fun season and uh, nice to have hockey back. Absolutely, 100%. So th- thank you again for joining the show, and we'll definitely check in down the road. There's a couple points we didn't have time to get to today that I'd like to cover. So now as we get towards the holiday break, we'll be reaching out to talk to you again and update where they are in the Pacific Division and the chances going forward, sir. Thank you for your time. You bet, man. You guys have a great time. Enjoy the rest of the the start of the season. Thanks for having me on, and enjoy those baseball playoffs, because I know I will be. All right, all right. Thanks Thanks again. Take care, guys. All right, Rob Soria from thehockeywriters.com. Yeah, he's always always a great guest. Uh, Well, we got a new first great guest, someone I'm familiar with next week, and John Ames. uh, uh, He partners along with me and uh, part of the cast of thousands on the NHL on the Ice podcast. He's a big Pittsburgh Pen- Penguins guy, and that's a that's someone we you know we really haven't had too many Penguins guests. So we're going to break down uh, the Penguins with him in terms of their uh, trying to their uh, goal of trying to win uh, the Cup for three straight years. Get his thoughts a little bit on who he thinks the top competition are in the East. And again, uh, everyone can find this show today's show to all the pre division preview shows at the grandstandsportsnetwork.com. You can find our show there. They have many hockey and football shows as well as on SoundCloud. If you search under Russ Cohen, uh Russ Cohen of Sportsology.com, you can find our show there and as well as on Blog Talk Radio. So uh, you know, check it out. Give all those people a follow as well. And uh we got a lot of good guests lined up for the month of October after John as well. All right, so that'll do it for this week. Uh, make sure you turn in same bat time, same bat channel next week. For Chris, I'm Mark. We are Vegas strong, and we're gone.